Lord, what we're about to look at today is a powerful passage of Scripture that you've given to us through your servant Paul. And I ask that you will prepare our hearts to receive it. Prepare our hearts to hear from your Spirit this morning these amazing and powerful transformational words that I'm convinced that you want to do a work here, even this morning, in each one of us. As we look at the power of the Spirit in our lives and how that Spirit is leading us in relationships and restorative relationships with one another. So, Lord, would you have your way with us this morning? Would you speak to us clearly? And, Lord, I just ask you help us that as we learn to keep in step with your Spirit, that we will also then be obeying your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Thank you for coming this morning. We've been going through... The book of Galatians. We're almost finished up. There are six chapters in the book of Galatians. We are in chapter 6. We're covering specifically verses 6 through 10 today. And one of the highlights today is I brought my clicker up here. If you were with me last week, I forgot my clicker. But we're, we're, as we're looking through this book of Galatians, we, we're encountering what Paul is dealing with with these people. It's a group of people, they, there are a number of churches in that region of Galatia, most of them are Gentiles. They don't have a lot of experience when it comes to Jewish tradition, Jewish history. And in the midst of this, they've come to understand the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul has shared that with them on his missionary journeys. They've heard, is there a problem? Oh, well, let me know when it's unfrozen. I need you guys to fix that because I'm reliant upon that. We'll get by, even if it's not there. But what, what I want us to understand is there's an amazing picture here that Paul is, is giving to us. He shares within this gospel that there's some false teachers that have come in and they've kind of skewed the gospel for them. And they say, basically, you have to do this, this, and this, and this in order to be saved. There's, there's an aspect where you have to earn your way into heaven and Paul says that's never been the case. That was not the design of God. And instead, Paul says, you have been set free. And it's for the sake of freedom that you've been set free. And so Paul is coming in with that beautiful message. And he's really coming against those Judaizers. And then what we found last week, thank you, gentlemen, you guys are my heroes. Uh, then what we found last week is that as we came in, we looked at the beginning of of chapter 6, we're transitioning from that fruit of the Spirit and how that fruit is then to be expressed in the midst of community. And we're going to really be hitting on that more so today. But where we, where we want to start today is I want us to take a pause. This gospel that Paul's presenting to the Galatians, it's the same gospel that he's presenting to other churches and other letters that he's written. And I want to just take a moment, and i got some passages here that are going to come out of Ephesians and of Romans and of Titus. I want you to hear this heart of this gospel. The, just hearing these next passages, I really feel, should just kind of rest in us and fuel us for this amazing thing that God has done, not that we have done. And so let's look at some of these. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. He says, because of his great love for us, whose? I mean, is it, is it that I've done something to earn this love? That's not what Paul is saying. But this fact that his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Even while we were still sinners, even while we're dead in our transgressions, 
God did something amazing because he loved us, he's got great mercy for us, and he gave us Jesus Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the promise. It's a picture of the hope. I'm just reading it in that passage. It gives me an opportunity to just like bask in and enjoy and have this joy of, wow, God, why and how? And you did that? You did that for me? And, and that's true. And yet what I oftentimes do, this is me, I oftentimes look at what God has done for me and it's like, there, I can find joy in that aspect for me. But it doesn't stop with me. It's for all of us. It's for all mankind. And when they receive that, that same joy that I have experienced when I come to understand that is likewise the same joy that I hope others experience. And then I can share that joy with you. And we'll look at that here a little bit more as we continue on. Verse 7 then says, In order that in the coming ages that he, God, might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. These are not unfamiliar passages with many of us, but sometimes we go through them so quickly. I want to rest in them as we get into this section of Galatians today. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're going to look at some of that good works aspect today, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Romans 5, Paul says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And basically what that means is while you were still robbing the bank, they gave you a full pardon. And it just doesn't make sense. But that's a picture of really what's going on here. Titus 3, Paul writes this. He says, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously. That's the same spirit we've been talking about as we've looked through Galatians chapter 5 that brings this fruit that bears within us. When he poured out this spirit on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. I mean, that's rich. And that's sweet, and that's good. You know, we look at, at salvation sometimes as, it's just, hey, I'm good, I'm locked in, it's fire insurance. You know, I'm not going to hell because I have, I have God now. I, I've accepted Jesus Christ, and so what else do I need? Now I can go and live however else I want to live. Well, Paul addressed that. We just looked at that in Galatians chapter 5. Saying, you know the acts of the flesh, and anyone who lives by those acts of the flesh will reap destruction. We're going to see that again today. But I don't know, when I look at this gospel and the richness and the beauty of this gospel, this is so much more than something that's just for me as an individual. God didn't just save me so that I don't go to hell. This gospel is much bigger, broader, deeper, and richer than just the fact that I'm not going to hell or just the fact that you're not going to hell. And what we see today is this gospel 
this richness and this beauty of what God has done in the saving grace where he has saved me and he has saved Lane and he has saved you and he has saved you. This, this then is this community, not only a communion with this God who has done the saving, but now as brothers and sisters. And I really want us to grasp that community today and what we are going to see in these passages today. In looking at, at this, um, I can't help but, but look and, and think of some aspects of this, this gospel message and the beauty of this gospel message. How we tend to take it as, okay, now I'm good and I, I forget the relational aspect of it. And this is all about the relationship, our relationship with God and then our relationship with one another. Isaiah 51. This is Old Testament. Some of us kind of look at the Old Testament and say, well, that's, you know, that's so last year. That's so in the past. I'm not going to really have to be concerned very much with the Old Testament. What's, what's beautiful about the Old Testament is that all of it is designed to point to Christ. So this is Isaiah 51. And I included this in here because we have all these New Testament passages about the gospel, about Jesus Christ and saved by grace. But look at what Isaiah says. He says, lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. Okay, there's this promise out there. This is bound to happen, okay? Because God said it's going to happen. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment and its inhabitants die like flies. That seems discouraging. But now we look at the next two lines and it says, but my salvation will last forever. My salvation will last forever. This isn't just fire insurance. Put it this way. And I've asked this question before. It wasn't my question. Someone else said it first. I just don't know who. But if you could go to heaven and have all the promises that heaven had to offer, you have your streets of gold and the pearly gates. You have all of those things. You have your own mansion and everything that you envisioned to be in that mansion. All of it is there. But Jesus isn't. Would you still want to go? Because sometimes that's what we look at. Well, I'm saved. I'm good. I've got all of these promises, but yet we miss the relationship. And that's really what I want to emphasize here today is this gospel is all about relationship. It's relationship with God, and then it's going to be relationship with its others. So, But my salvation will last forever. In other words, this relationship that I have with Jesus Christ, it's sweet, and it's deep, and it's rich, and it's going to last forever. My righteousness will never fail. An illustration, just as we kind of process this and then step into some of these passages. Consider if I won the lottery, which is not likely to happen for two reasons. One, the odds of winning the lottery are astronomical. I don't know that it's like millions and billions to one. That's one major factor of why I'm not winning the lottery. The other is the fact that I just don't buy lottery tickets. And that is not to my advantage to win the lottery. But let's say, hypothetically, I did win the lottery. Let's say I win this mega million, so I've got $430 million. You know what I always find? Can I just share this? This This is astounding to me. Okay. The, the Powerball, the Mega Millions, whatever it is, starts off with like a million, two million, five million. Oh, I, I don't buy a ticket until it gets really big. Okay, <laughs> really? Okay, about 430 million. Okay, now I can live on 430 million. That whole three to five million, that's just not for me. It doesn't make sense. Okay, really? I don't, I don't get it. Just, I'm just telling you, there's an aspect there. I could use a million dollars. That doesn't have to be 430 million. Anyway, but consider this. I win the lottery. All right, now I take my winnings, all of it, and I give it to my children, and they're going like, sweet, sorry kids, I don't buy lottery tickets, so you're, you're up the creek, but can you consider, I give, them, I give them all of the money, here you go, you get all of the money, there it is, 
Now, I, I split up evenly because if I didn't, that wouldn't be fair. And they would say something about that. So I split up the money evenly. So they all have the same share of this lottery. And it's millions of dollars. Let's say it's a $400 million. That's easy math, right? So they each get $100 million. That should be plenty. So here they have, oh, wow, dad's so great. He just gave us $100 million. Bye, dad. See ya. And they go and they live comfortably off of all of the promises that I have given to them. The $100 million. They don't have to worry about a thing. Do they need to ask dad for advice anymore? No, because they can pay someone who knows and ask them for the advice that they would need. Do they need to, hey, hey dad, how do I fix my car? No, because they're going to take it and have someone else fix their car. You follow that? And, and so they have no more need for anything from dad any longer. And that's a picture of the gospel without relationship. It doesn't make sense. Yet instead, what it can be is we give this inheritance. It's like, okay, yeah, this is good, but I want the relationship. And so if Jesus Christ is just your way to stay out of hell, you're missing out on the depth and the beauty of what Paul's writing about and what we've just looked at in the depth and beauty of this gospel. Because if you see the gospel as being a gospel of good news without a relationship, you're selling the gospel short. It's better than that. It's bigger than that. And that's really what I feel like we're going to start to see here. Because it's not only this relationship with him, but then it's a relationship with each, with each other. It's easy for us to love Jesus because he's like perfect. It's difficult sometimes for us to love each other. Right? If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right? Some of you are laughing because you've obviously had a fight on the way to church here this morning and it's been a very difficult morning for you. That's okay, all right? But what I'm convinced about is we're going to see the Spirit moving in such a way when it comes to relationships. All right. All that said, let's take a look. So last week, this is where we wrapped it off. And we're going to step into verse 6 here in just a moment. So we looked at this. Each one of you should uh, test their own actions and then can take pride. We talked about pride a lot last week. I'm not going to recap on that. You can follow up on that if you really have interest in looking at last week's message, which is still on the website on our YouTube channel as well. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to one another. We looked at the idea, this huge idea of comparing ourselves as if that's where our value is going to be. For each one should carry their own load. And that's really what I wanted you to see this morning as we step in. Each one does have a load to carry. We had the backpack, remember? We had the weight, and Jordan was helping me carrying the weight. That's carrying each other's burdens, and I had the backpack. That's a load that I have to carry. Along with that load that I have to carry is my own decision of what I'm going to do with this good news. Will I receive it, or will I reject it? And that's what we're going to start off with here. Joshua, when faced with this decision, this burden that he has to carry... When he's coming in to take over with, in the leadership of the Israelites. So if you don't know the, the history, Moses was in charge. Remember Moses? They spent the 40 years in the desert. He led them, the people out of Egypt. They're in the 40 years in the desert. They go to the promised land. He sends in the two spies. And the two spies, or sends in the, the 12 spies. Two spies says, woohoo, this is really good. Ten spies said, nope, that's bad. We're going to all die. And they said, well, I guess we're going to all die. And they turn and leave. And God says, oh, you foolish people. If you did listen to the others, you would have known that I would have had you in this. Anyway, they've gone there 40 years in the desert. They come back to the threshold for the promised land and Moses strikes the rock and says, God says, sorry, you don't get to go in. Oh, it doesn't seem fair. But Joshua is going to take the rule. And as Joshua is preparing for leadership, there's still these other aspects of idolatry that they would have known with the Egyptians coming through. And, and some of that is just ways that have been exposed. And Joshua presents these Israelites with this as he's ready to take them into the promised land. And he says, Okay, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, 
then choose for yourselves. This is that bag, that load that, that they have to carry. Each individual, every one of us, today and every day has to make this decision for ourselves. I can't make it for you. You can't make it for me. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And so otherwise, in other words, Joshua is saying, this is the Lord I'm carrying, and I am making the choice to follow the Lord. And he leaves it up to everyone else. They all have the same choice. Likewise, when it comes to the gospel, my load to carry is what am I going to do? How am I going to choose? Will I choose to follow Christ and keep in step with the Holy Spirit? Or will I choose to continue to indulge in the acts of the flesh? That's, in a sense, what we're looking at here in that. So we step into verse 6. So right after this, now we get into verse 6. This seems obscure. It does fit really well. We just have to understand the context. It says, nevertheless, Paul writes. Okay, so right after we had looked at, just, just to refresh you, right after he says, for each one should carry their own load. But nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. And so this is part of that. We talked about this. Paul's going from an individual piece as well as a corporate piece. He's kind of going back and forth in this. And so that idea of the carrying the load, hey, you have an individual responsibility. And now he's going, this is actually a huge statement on community, a huge statement on uh, group, on ministry. So this is the context. This is what was happening then. It's not that far from, uh, removed from what we experience as well. But when he says it, those who receive instruction in the word, these are those people in the context of those Galatian churches who are teaching the word of God. And so Paul's automatically making the assumption and the insertion that the word of God should be being taught in the churches. That's important. Paul's not backing away from that. And so here's what's happening. You have people in your churches that are teaching the word of God. And this would have been their livelihood though there was no monetary gain for their livelihood. In that culture, they weren't in the position where I'm at. They're not hired as pastors. They're in there and they're serving. And so in that context, here they are teaching the word of God. And Paul's recognizing this as this, yep, that's their load to carry. But this is the sharing of the burdens part that we talked about last week as well. He says, so each one of you should share the good things with the instructor. Really what Paul is saying is, you want, you need, the word of God has to be taught in your churches. And when that is being taught in your churches, when the people are teaching the word of God, you also have a load to carry. You have a responsibility, and that is to share your good things that you have to offer. In other words, here you have this, this pastor in these churches here who's not earning a living. He's not a tent maker, at least in most capacities, like Paul was. And Paul didn't do that most of the time. That was supplemental at that time, but for the most part, this would have fit with Paul as well. So he's there, not earning any kind of wage, not able to feed himself. And then you have these other people who are receiving that teaching, and, and Paul is basically saying, you live in community. All right, You have someone coming in and teaching the Word. You share with them the good things that you have. In other words, you provide for them. Do you see the, the, the dynamic that Paul is talking about here? This is the community. And this is what he's going to kind of resound on, is within the walls of the church, we have relationship, we have community, and the gospel is intended to be lived in community. It's not just about, hey, I'm going to heaven, I'm good. It's about an us aspect as well. These are strong verses in this. Then he says, Paul says, don't be deceived. He says, God cannot be mocked. And what we're going to look at here in this, there's a sequence here of God, or a man reaps what he sows, and God's saying, 
you know, just so you understand, I can't be mocked. I can't be tricked. Remember Adam and Eve? All right, the whole, they're in, they're in the, the Garden of Eden, and they fall for the temptations of the serpent. They eat of the fruit, and they realize that they have no clothes on. And then they decide to make for themselves fig leaves, and then they go and they hide from God. And God had previously walked with them in the garden, and God comes in and says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And they're hiding. You know, can they really hide from him? Absolutely not. And that's almost a mockery. It's like, who do you think you are that you can maybe live this way and pretend? That's really what Paul's calling out here. God can't be mocked. So you call yourself a believer, and yet you intentionally choose to indulge in the acts of the flesh. Do you remember what some of those were? Discord, very relationally minded. Consider that where I call myself a believer in Jesus Christ, and yet I oppose so many within the church, and I'm not about building relationships. I'm about kind of cutting those relationships off, and I'll leave you off to the side. It's like, yeah, but I'm a believer. You're the one that's wrong. I gotta, there's a real caution here. When you have brothers and sisters in Christ claiming the name of Christ, led, filled by the Spirit, and then led by the Spirit, boom, here's the clicking point. That spirit is not going to lead towards discord between those two individuals. What is that spirit going to do? It's going to lead to restoration and harmony. That's kind of the point of what we're trying to get at here. And yet if I choose to continue to say, ah, that doesn't matter for me. I'm a good Christian. They're the ones that are not a good Christian. I, I foster the acts of discord, etc. I am basically saying a mockery to God is like, mm, I can earn it myself. And that's really what Paul's getting at is, don't be deceived. God won't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You know, this shows it. You can't hide from God. You can't do these certain acts and things like nobody knows. God does know. We use that phrase a lot. But I just want you to understand the depth of that reality. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. There is nowhere you can go that God doesn't know exactly what you're doing, what it is that you've done what it is that you're thinking. And yet, don't miss this, because we get into there, I'm, I'm there. Oh man, he knows everything. And it leaves me feeling very afraid and shallow. And yet the fact that God knows all that about me, and yet, don't forget the f- first passages that we read this morning, and yet I'm saved by his grace. I'm considered righteous, not because of any acts of my own, but because of what he has done. You may hear some of these words And I don't know your past for many of you. And you may feel a sense of condemnation. This is not a message of condemnation. So I want you to hear that, especially when you get into some later verses. This is not a message of condemnation. No one is condemning you for this. This is designed to help you to see what the Spirit is doing and how that Spirit is leading. I want you to hear that, okay? And then verse 8. So we, we see God cannot be mocked. You reap what you sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh... From the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. It's interesting when we look at gardening. I'm, everyone knows me, knows I'm a terrible gardener. Um, I can't hide from it. I'm done trying. But there's a reality that when you plant your seed, have you ever had the seed come up the same day? Never. Right? Unless there's some magic seed out there, maybe Jack and the Beanstalk. That was one exception. Uh, But I've yet to find those beans, and I have yet to find the giant. But consider this fact, that when you sow the seeds, it takes time for those seeds to take root and to foster and to grow. There's time that it takes when we're looking at relationships. 
And honestly, this is a big factor, what we see when we get into verse 9 here in a moment, that I think Paul is kind of getting at when he says, don't become weary. But we sow, whoever sows to please their flesh will also reap destruction. If you're sowing seeds of dissension, if you're sowing the seeds of drunkenness, it's going to be a very difficult and challenging and bitter life, and you're not going to see the fruit of the Spirit being built up in you because of that. It's opposed. It's that eternal conflict that we've been talking about. So don't miss that eternal conflict. And then the beautiful part of it is, whoever sows to please the Spirit, from that Spirit will reap eternal life. My dad and I were talking this last week. I had a friend in high school. He was a couple years older than I was. I think two, give or take on that. It might have been up to three, but I think he was just two years older. He, he, he and I were, at, were church friends. He, like I said, in school, so he was always older. It didn't really matter that way. We didn't know each other super well within the school confines. But in church... We were close. We were close friends. We went to Big Sandy Camp together regularly. His name was Tanner. Uh, ironically, he was always Tanner. No matter how much time I spent in the sun, it made no difference. He was still Tanner. Uh, however, the, the thing with Tanner and his, his life, which was interesting, is it was cut very short. He died in a car accident, a very strange car accident, where he was kind of um, basically broadsided, on a country road, it's like where, I mean, it was almost the middle of nowhere. He had just been married. He was like 21 years old, married a 19-year-old, so they're both very young, broadsided, and he was killed. Basically got stuck inside the vehicle. We don't know the timing, whether he was dead on impact, but the car caught fire. It was, it was gruesome, especially considering the fact that here I was, 18 or 19 at the time. I just graduated high school relatively recently, and this is probably my, my closest friend that I had that was suddenly killed. You wouldn't have found a person a young man who was uh, a more humble and greater servant for Christ than this young man. He's 21. At the age of 21, he was so dedicated to the Lord. He was, he was teaching Sunday school at the church. He was involved as much as he could. And that's not, not trying to earn his way into heaven. It's just kind of what God was doing in him. And here you have a 21-year-old, seemingly a great vessel for the Lord to use. And his life is suddenly cut short. It doesn't seem fair, does it? You know, we look at this idea of justice and we struggle with it because we think like, well, that wasn't fair. Why would God do that? Well, God's mind and all this stuff is way beyond us. I remember at Tanner's funeral, and I don't know the outcome of it, but I remember some of the stuff that was shared at Tanner's funeral. Tanner was well-known even in the community. He had his own business. So he was a small business owner at, at that age. I mean, quite the entrepreneur. He's really... Wow. Talk about the, the pedestal child. I mean, just he's, what you, he's the example. Everyone wants their kid to turn out like Tanner. And yet when his life was cut short, and I remember at the funeral, the, the pastor there was saying, you know, let me tell you something about, about Tanner. You know, he's, he's with the Lord right now, and it's not because he was a good person, which he was. And he kind of lays out all of these accolades that Tanner had, but it's because he had a relationship. I don't know at that funeral if anyone chose to follow Christ at that moment or not. But I'll tell you this, if that was the reason that God took Tanner's life at that moment, then Tanner's life was absolutely worth it. And I have to trust then that God's ways in this way are much larger than anything my mind can grasp or comprehend. But Tanner sowed to please the Spirit. And from that, 
we don't know what was planted and we don't know what will be reaped. But yet in due time, I'm convinced, whether it's even through today, through the funeral of Tanner's life, through any other aspect and encounters that he had had, it continues to live on and that seed continues to be in the ground ready to flourish. Do you follow with, with where we're going with that? Whoever sows to please their flesh from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. It's interesting. If you remember back, just real quickly, remember back to when we look at the acts of the flesh in, in Galatians 5.21. And it says in that point, those who live by the flesh will basically will not inherit the kingdom of God. That phrase, the kingdom of God, is referring to pretty much a place. All right, the, the heaven aspect, the kingdom of God. This one, referring to eternal life, it's a different context where this phrase actually means something a little bit different. We think it means the same thing, but it's not quite. Because what this phrase in eternal life means, basically this joyful, fully complete life with God forever. It's life. This life that we experience here is so temporary. I tell you this, Tanner is living a life that is full and connected with the Savior. And we look at it as, hey, that's not right, that's not just. You follow? So we look at this idea, and this is where Paul's getting at in the idea of relationships. Let us not become weary in doing good. What is the good? I'll show you in a second. What is the good? For the proper time we will reap, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Paul related this. The idea of growing weary says, let us not become weary in doing good for that. At the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Paul had been expressing this to the Galatian churches. The Galatian churches kind of turned from that. Paul had to be exhausted. It's like, what am I doing? What's the point of what I'm doing? And you see it here is reflected in Galatians 4.11. He says, I fear that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Here I have been basically planting and watering the seed. And for what? It doesn't seem like anything has happened. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. What is the doing good? This is what I'm convinced. The Spirit wants to produce in you love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Here's what, here's I guess where, where I'm thinking. As the church... We have a body of, of a group of people who are followers of Christ. Some of you maybe are not yet. I would hope that you would hear this gospel message from these early verses and say, that's, that's what I want. But we live this life, and I know what it's like to live a life. I know what it's like to live life with family, and there's oftentimes conflicts within the family, and we can kind of understand it in that context. I've had conflicts with friends. I have conflicts with other people. And I guess what I'm looking at and understanding when I look at what Paul's trying to communicate, when he says, do not grow weary from living out, from following the Spirit, because following the Spirit can be tough, very difficult. Consider this, you have, a, you have a, a conflict. We'll use Lane and I. Lane and I have a conflict. That's a pretty severe conflict. And so we're, we're just, oh, he's frustrated with me. I'm frustrated with him. I want him to see my point of view. He wants me to see his point of view. And instead of growing closer together, we start pushing apart. Okay? Oh, I just can't find myself loving him. He's not bringing any joy into my life. This is not true. I'm making this up. Okay? (laughs) He was laying for me in tears before I'm done here. Okay? I'm struggling to have patience. I just, I don't want to show him kindness. And so there's this 
there's this rift that exists between people. And is the Holy Spirit leading me to continue to enhance that rift? Or is the Holy Spirit leading me to restore the relationship? And I'm convinced when I look at the acts of the flesh, when we look at self-indulgence, and we look at discord, and those aspects, the enemy wants the acts of the flesh are something that would promote the rift, and the acts of the, or the, the fruit of the Spirit wants to restore that. Does that make sense? And so when we live by the Spirit, I'm convinced as Lane as a follower and believer in Jesus Christ, and me as a follower and believer in Jesus Christ, that if we have a conflict, I am convinced that the Spirit is wanting to lead me, and if I keep in step with the Spirit, that Spirit is leading me to restore that relationship with me. Lane also has a load to carry, and that Spirit is leading him to also restore that relationship. If we're both believers, if we're both filled with the Spirit, and we're both trying to keep in step with the Spirit, I'm convinced that that is what the Spirit is leading to do. And for some of us, we've had some broken relationships in our life. This is, again, this is not the condemnation part. I consider, let's use this as an example. Marriage, number one, is very difficult. And so again, don't hear condemnation here. Hear what is the Spirit really leading. So there's no condemnation. There's grace across it. So I'm not making any judgments on this. I'm just sharing the passage and what I think that the Holy Spirit is wanting us to do. This, this doesn't mean that there's like, oh man, now what do I do with my past? Hey, the past is in the past. Right now, the Lord is is wanting to lead you with his Holy Spirit. But we had this, this incident that we see with Jesus Christ in Matthew 19. It says, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They said, oh, teacher, is it, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? I like this phrase, though it's an idiot, okay? For any and every reason? It's like, really? Is that really what the scripture's saying? I don't think that's what it is. They're, they're twisting that right off the get-go. He says, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? In other words, these, these, in the Jewish culture, they got to this point where if you, the, the wife burns the toast, sorry, you're out of here. I'm going to find someone who doesn't burn the toast. Oh, it was the toaster. Don't give me that. Okay, that toaster's new, or at least new enough. You've got to babysit the toaster then, whatever it is. And they're basically saying, hey, is that, that's what the law teaches. Can I do that? And Jesus says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female? Male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh relationship. The two will be bonded together in relationship, like the body of Christ, okay? That's kind of where I want to I grasp both aspects here. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And this, this points to the relationship that God, that Jesus Christ has with his church, okay? The bride and groom, Remember that? The body of Christ? The bride of Christ? I mean, it's, this is the picture. The two will become one. They'll be united in beauty and perfect relationship. And they said, why then? They asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. And this is not the way it was from the beginning. I am convinced that what Paul is trying to communicate to the Galatian churches, what I believe that we can glean from this, we all have relationships in our lives, and some of those relationships are really hard. When he says, don't grow weary from doing good, 
I think that's a relational statement. Notice the, the pronouns there. He says, do not grow weary from doing good. For when <clears throat> the proper time arrives, we, it's a plural, referring to community, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. The power is the Spirit in leading people. We have a responsibility, we have a load to carry, and that is to obey the Spirit of God and the Spirit's leading. If you have a broken relationship, especially in the midst of a other follower of Christ, I am convinced that the Holy Spirit is leading you to restore that relationship. I understand it would take two people who are followers of Christ to both be following the leading of the Spirit for that relationship to be fully restored. I understand that because one could be following the leading of the Spirit. The other one's like, ah, I'm a Christian, but I don't really want to deal with you because you really upset me. You stepped on my toe one too many times. I'm out of here. That, that can happen. I get that. But what is our response then? Well, then, fine, forget you. No, it's to continue to follow the leading of the Spirit. You can't control this one. You have a load to carry in your responsibility. So do they. But I am convinced that within the church especially, that's what Paul said, especially amongst yourselves, that if you have a conflict with another believer in Christ, whether part of this church or part of another one, I'm convinced that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is leading you to restore that relationship. I would say likewise with your spouse. And that's where it gets to be difficult sometimes because... You know, Sarah hasn't learned that I'm always right yet. And as soon as she does, then we can have the happy marriage. You know, I'm convinced the church, the gospel is meant to be lived out in community. And that includes all of us engaging and working together, carrying our load by obeying the spirit. Don't let pride slip in. We talked about that last week because it can be very easy to say, well, I'm the spiritual one because I'm the one moving forward and you're the unspiritual one because you're opposing me. And that's not the heart. Paul says, you be very careful on that. Follow the Spirit's leading. I'm convinced that the Spirit wants to lead us into healed and healthy relationships, whether in this room, where your lives are at. You've, you've experienced broken relationships. Every one of us has, I think. I don't know how you can be human and not. Listen and follow the leading of that Spirit.